0: You might be immature your entire human existence and yet still God will love you and God will do everything he can to meet with you. But our aspiration is to be spiritually mature because there is so much at stake. The fruit of immaturity is nothing to laugh at. The fruit of immaturity will manifest itself in broken relationships and addictions and fear and anxiety and a life misspent. And the Bible tells us that immature people when they face God will have to Account for that. Willful immaturity is nothing to just simply laugh at. It's a huge problem. And yet, it's not something that we can fix on our own, and that's what we're learning in our engaged groups, that maturity is not about self-help, it's about relationship development. You can be the most amazingly self-sufficient person and be completely immature at the same time, Maturity is a relational concept, which is what we're learning in our our church right now. And the goal of engaging with God is to develop that kind of relationship with Him through which we can become mature spiritually and emotionally and as the people God uh, wants us to be. So a mature person recognizes what's valuable and they acquire what's valuable more on that in, in a minute. Um, becoming a mature person is God's intention for every person, just like our intention for our children is that they grow up and become mature. That's God's intention for us, is what he's at work doing in our lives, and that's why I love these parables so much. Um, now, uh, so let's take a look at these parables and let's ask ourselves, what, well, what is a parable? Um, parables are stories, mostly, uh, that Jesus tells to surprise us. Parables surprise people. It's a way of engaging with people. It's kind of like telling a joke or a riddle. You, you want to involve your audience in something that pulls them in in a pr- particular way. Uh, and to make a certain point that you can't make just by explaining it. And I'm sorry, kind of preaching on parables is a little bit like explaining a joke, so I'll do my best, but the the power of the parable is just in the parable. It's often and usually unsettling. I want to highlight that point. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we can think that parables are really nice stories about how to live. They are not really nice stories about how to live. They are stories that are really offensive to half the audience. I'll explain why half in a minute. But mostly, parables really irritate us. They really irritate people, (laughs) and that's the impact of a parable. I'll explain why in a second, okay? They're not principles for living. They're actually ways to encounter the presence of Jesus Christ personally. Parables are often a sign of judgment. Parables will tell you about the sheep and the goats and whether you're one or the other or whether you're a weed or a real plant or whether you're a seed that grows or a seed that gets eaten up by the crows. That's the either or. Parables are often pushing you right to the brink of decision. They are revealing to you whether you're this or whether you're that. That's why it irritated people so much. Because like a good joke, Jesus is wanting to actually say to some people, you're that, you thought you were this, but you're that. And if you think you're this, but you think you're really a nice, obedient sheep, but rather you're an ornery old goat, and you thought you were this, but now Jesus is saying you're that, you can understand why that kind of elicited a negative reaction. That's why I love parables, though, because they're telling you the truth, always, always telling you the truth, but they're telling you to you in such a way was it Emily Dickinson i think that said poetry tells the truth but tells it slant in other words it comes in in an unexpected way it comes in, in an ex- unexpected way because oftentimes that's how we need to hear it so it arrests our attention and it's asking you the question what are you going to do about it that's why parables are so amazing and so helpful In these two parables, these are interesting ones because the parable uh, is about the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is the kingdom of heaven? We'll get to this in a second, but you'll see one thing that's interesting about these parables is that the, uh, the kingdom of heaven is not like one particular thing. In other words, here we have two parables, which I'll kind of go back and forth between because they're short enough and it's easy to do it. You, uh, you got the parable of the treasure and the parable of the pearl, and you'd think, oh, the, the kingdom of heaven is the treasure. Or the kingdom of heaven is the parable. Not exactly, kind of, but the kingdom of heaven is the whole process. Jesus didn't say the kingdom of heaven is the treasure. He said the kingdom of heaven is a man looking for a, a man in a field who finds treasure and sells everything in, in order to buy it. That's the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a person discovering a pearl of great price and sells everything in order to acquire it. That's the kingdom of heaven. So yeah, there's kind of a a bullseye in the target, but the target is the kingdom. In other words, it's describing a power and a dynamic and a process. That's actually the kingdom. So the kingdom of heaven is this whole thing here that we're going to be talking about. Now, what is kingdom of heaven? I know that can be a a little bit of an unusual phrase to us if we're not used to it. Okay, so the kingdom of heaven, you can think of in a couple of different ways. It's like the realm of God's authority. It's very dynamic. It's where God's doing what God does. That's the kingdom of heaven. It's where God has authority and power. It's where his presence is expressed. The kingdom of heaven works through people. if you want to find the kingdom, you're gonna find it in people. You're gonna find it in people doing things. You're gonna be, you're gonna find it in people experiencing things. You're gonna find it where God is acting upon people. The kingdom of heaven comes with Jesus uniquely. So one of the things Jesus was talking about was that the uh, the kingdom of heaven is present in him explicitly. Where you find Jesus, you find the kingdom. And then, last point I'll make is the kingdom of heaven is breaking in. The kingdom of heaven is always going like this, in. It's not just kind of like out there is this kind of thing that we kind of, you know, join eventually. It's breaking in. One strange scripture says the kingdom of heaven breaks in violently. And that's what it feels like sometimes because it is overturning things, the kingdom of heaven. And it's working through you that way. So Jesus is describing the power and the, 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 the dynamic quality of the kingdom of heaven to the Jewish people. And... Um, and what he's telling us today is the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. It's of great value. Now, that could be a bit surprising. I mean, it, it, is it a bit surprising to describe the kingdom of heaven as a treasure that's not everybody recognizes? I mean, are people not looking for it? It's hard to say, but right away you can kind of see that you could be irritated by that statement just off the bat. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Well, I mean, that's kind of shocking right there. That, that there's this great treasure and it's hidden in a field or it's a pearl. It's kind of hidden among other pearls but you'd think that any good pearl merchant worth their salt would kind of be finding it. And so right away the parable grabs us. We're asking ourselves right off the bat, well gosh, have we found this treasure? Have we passed by the pearl of great price without knowing it or without caring? That's question number one or feature number one of this treasure is that it's hidden. It's not Obvious right off the bat. That's the first thing about this treasure. It's hidden and not obvious to us right off the bat. Second thing we discover about this treasure is that when it's found, it's covered up. That's interesting. The guy finds the treasure and he covers it up. The merchant finds the pearl but leaves it there One way I have of kind of thinking through that myself is that it feels very personal to me, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Imagine you're kind of antique shopping. All right, and, and I love shopping for antiques with people who kind of know what they're looking for. I never really knew what I was looking for when, when I was a kid. We go to these antique shops and I, for some reason, and uh, I did find them eccentric and interesting eventually, uh, if there was, uh, you know, not too much fabric and more comic books and things like that. Um, But the thing about going antique shopping is that you recognize the value of the thing you're looking for. It's personal because it connects to something that you care about, that's personal to your life, that matters to you. Maybe it's a collection you're building, like baseball cards or records i mean like the old school kind of records you know that go around on a on a you know needle pictures that you're collecting or art of some kind or natural objects that you're putting into a collage but you're the only one that would know that that's beautiful because of it you have a personal connection to something that you're developing or maybe it's connected to a memory of of somebody that you love but nobody else would know it but you you, you see a, a cane that reminds you of your, your grandfather or a hat that reminds you of your grandmother or, or, or something that had, nobody else would know that that was beautiful except you do because you, the person's beautiful to you. It means something to you. Or maybe it means something to someone you love. Oh, my spouse would just love that. I, I don't know, but my spouse would love that. It's beautiful because my spouse is beautiful or my parent or my child. I want to get that because it's meaningful. And you get a feeling that's associated with that. When you're rummaging around in an antique store and you find something, you you get that thrill for a second. Like, oh, I see that. I see that thing. Nobody else sees it, but I see it. And you have that heart connection to it because it's meaningful. That's a treasure. That's a treasure that's hidden and waiting to be discovered by you. All those long days, that fountain pen was sitting there for 50 years in that antique shop until somebody came along and said, that's the fountain pen I have been looking for. You know, That's why it's there and it's not been discovered yet. It's because it's your treasure waiting for you what does this mean about the treasure itself? Well, this is interesting. The treasure requires something from the person who finds it. The treasure is hidden. The treasure is found. And then it's acquired. This treasure, although it's personal to us, won't be shaped by our agenda, In other words, it requires a change in us if it is to be acquired. This is not like winning the lotto, which requires almost no change. It's a habit we established or some kind of luck and we win the lotto and now we've got to deal with all this money. This is not what Jesus is talking about, winning the lotto. It's not easily gained because it's precious and anything precious is, has a price and requires some change on our part. That's why people who win the big lottery prizes aren't necessarily happy afterwards. Their finances have changed but their heart hasn't. More money simply puts fuel on a fire. That was probably out of control to begin with. This treasure isn't like that. This treasure has an impact on the one who finds it. And the impact is they go. They leave. Isn't that unusual? They didn't just have the money in their wallet. They didn't take it and bring it home. They left. That is fascinating. It's counterintuitive to me. They find the treasure, and they leave. They leave because they have to get their resources together. They have to invest in something. They have to. They have to explain it to their wife, honey. I I, I know you're not, but we got to get rid of the, all this stuff. You know, I'll. they got to go and they got to they got to borrow money maybe, or they got to they got to pull it out of the bank. They got to get their stuff together because they, because they can't they can't acquire the treasure without change. It's worth all they have. It says that in both parable accounts. All they have, everything, that's powerful treasure. So the treasure is hidden, it's found, it's acquired, and then I'm sorry, it's, it's, well, what should I say? It's invested in, but then it's purchased is the last point I'd like to make here. They buy it. Now, you might say, well, thanks, Captain Obvious. Let's say, uh, you know, of course they bought it. No, it's not so obvious. I'll explain that. We're going to come back to this point because it's a really important one. I just want to state it. That the parable isn't complete until the treasure is purchased and bought and owned and acquired. Now, this is a beautiful story to me because there's so many different dimensions to it, as you can see. And it's going to have an impact on us on every one of those steps. So I'd like to just kind of think about how it applies to us. First of all, I wanna ask us a question. Do we recognize what's valuable? Do we recognize? The, The whole point that Jesus was revealing in this parable was to show that a lot of people don't recognize what's valuable. A lot. That's a harsh thing to know and to understand, but it's true. But mature people recognize what's valuable. And that's the key to this parable is that the treasure is Jesus himself. He is the treasure. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the one that's come to to bring the story of the Jewish people to its apex, to fulfill the covenant promises of God. He's the treasure. He was in their midst, like a treasure hidden in a field or a pearl of great price, and how many people walked right on by? They weren't needy. They weren't hungry for it, I guess. And I want to ask us the question, do we recognize that Jesus is the treasure? I love how the great ancient... Christian St. Augustine, who wrote a lot about the Bible, he, he says that the, uh, the treasure is Jesus, or it's our neighbor, or it's God's word, or he said anything else that could occur to us. <laughs> and I, he's so right, because when Augustine says that, it comes back to Jesus, It's Jesus, it's Jesus we see in others, it's Jesus that we hear in his word, it's anything about Jesus that you find lovely and beautiful. He himself is always the treasure. Do you value him? Not it, him, him, Jesus personally. Have you recognized what's valuable about Jesus personally? It's a good question, I don't mean it just simply to be rhetorical, yes, maybe not. It's okay to admit that. That's why Jesus is helping us here. Or maybe you're a little bored by Jesus or maybe a little bit confused by him or maybe you're just upset but you don't know why. Maybe he's kind of like the stock you're not sure you want to buy yet. You know, you want to check out the company a little bit longer first. See how the trend lines go, you know. Maybe you're just a little bit passive or you just wanna wait a little bit. You know, you know he's there, but you're not sure the value's there. Maybe you're hesitating about him. Here's the second question that I'd like us to ask ourselves. Are we willing to make big changes in our life to know Jesus? Mature people Make big changes in their lives to get what's valuable. Mature people will move houses to get to a better school system, or they will homeschool. Mature people will change jobs for a variety of different important reasons mental health, better resources, better situation for their families. Mature people will go to get counseling. When they know they need it, they will take their medication. They will stop eating so much and go on a diet. This is what mature people do. It's hard to do all of those things. That's why we don't have all of those expectations of kids. We start small with kids. And we give them bite-sized things that are hard for them that help them to mature and become able to do better things. Mature people can decide, I want to do that, but I won't because it's wrong. That's what a mature person does. Immature people can't or have a hard time doing it. They'll say, I know it's wrong, but it feels so right. And how can what's wrong feel so right? Or whatever the dumb song is. I'd like to lecture that (laughs) person. Let me count all the ways how things that feel so right can be so wrong. (laughs) How much time do you have? Mature people change things. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying that that's what mature people do. The Apostle Paul said, I count everything, everything a loss, Why? This is in our readings. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In contrast to knowing him, everything had relative value and it was less. That's why the entrance to the church is through baptism. It's the death of everything so that we can experience the life of everything in him. We're willing to make that change. A third question I'd like to ask us. Will you buy and own the treasure? This is the captain obvious part. Mature people know how to acquire things and enjoy them. My family's all nodding their heads. <laughs> mhm. Mhm. A mature person can celebrate no, you guys go on ahead, I'll, you know, I'll just sit over here and be mature, you know. <laughs> no, mature people are at the center of the party. Where was Jesus all the time? He's at the center of the party. He was there at the wedding feast. He got accused of having too much fun with the sinners and the tax collectors because he was so mature. We so often stop short of this part you know, I grew up in a missionary kid culture. I mean, we were always sacrificing for the kingdom. And I, look, that's true. But I didn't get to the uh, this part. You're to enjoy your relationship with Jesus. That's the treasure. We can so easily believe right things about Jesus without ever buying and owning, without ever celebrating and using the thing. You know, As I kind of, you know, you get new shoes and now you don't want to wear them because then I get scuffed. You know, I'm still struggling with that. So (laughs) it's funny. I'm not talking about like materialism. I'm talking about enjoying Jesus so that you can enjoy everything else. Mature people are intimate people. And celebration and intimacy are very connected. You have to be vulnerable when you celebrate. You have to have emotions. Not only at the football game. You know, everybody can do that. It's so hard to transfer that. (laughs) Mature people are intimate. We can be vulnerable. We can celebrate. We can rejoice. We can say, ah, I love that. That was just great. By the pearl. Here's... One thing I think if you will probably forget everything but this one thing that I'm about to tell you. You want to know what this one thing is? Do you want to know what the Greek word is for pearl? You know what the Greek word is for pearl? Margarita. (laughs) I kid you not. So that's your thing. You will remember that, and you will never forget it, and you will forget everything I've said. But you will remember that margarita is pearl. So this guy was out there looking for the best margarita. (laughs) I'm not going to bring that into my application part of the sermon, but when you see that sign, you know, uh, you think of a pearl of great price and you think, what's valuable? And you think about this pearl. It's the margarita that you've been looking for. (laughs) Friends, I'll be ending it here shortly. Do you know that you are the treasure hidden in the field, that you are the pearl of great price? Do you know who it was that was out searching for that? Do you know who it was that gave everything in order to find that treasure and acquire that pearl? Do you know who it is that knows better than anybody else how to enjoy that kind of treasure? Jesus, he's done this for you. Believe it or not, the original sermon title here is God Provides. What God provides is himself. He put the treasure there. The treasure's in that field because he put it there. The pearl of great price is there because he put it there. And he delights when you find it. And you're his treasure. He's given everything for you so that you could have everything through him. You're the pearl of great price, and he's provided for you. I want to invite you into a little practice that you can maybe engage with these just a little bit. I'd like you to do something this next week. I'd like you to take a piece of paper, and I'd like you to list 10 things that you love about Jesus. 10 things that you love about Jesus. This is, you know, not, not supposed to be a theological enterprise. It's supposed to be very personal. See if you can get 10. Some of my list are things that are special to me. Lord Jesus, and I want you to make this personal. Take a piece of paper and make it a prayer. Say Jesus, and then just write your sentence. Jesus, you give my life meaning and purpose. These are special to me. Jesus, you assure me that all will be well. Jesus, you give me a new start and you are only just beginning. Jesus, you forgive me. These are just some of the things on my list. And I want you to take that list and I want you to repeat it either once in the morning or once at night or both and make that something that becomes familiar to you. It's Intimacy with Jesus it takes a little time, and that 's okay it 's not a, an exercise in perfection <laughs> it 's just a start. I remember when I was dating Rebecca. I was sixteen, and my vocabulary for romance was somewhat limited, and uh, I remember we went on our first big date, first date where we dressed up and uh, Rebecca came down the stairs with, you know, beautiful dress. Her hair was made of. She had beautiful shoes on. And you can imagine what I said. I said, I said, you are so cute. (laughs) It it just kind of fell flat. Um, And I realized that I, I have to expand my repertoire of romantic words. I, I still think I've probably got a long way to go in that department. Um, I feel like I'm just learning. I, I am just learning. And we're just gonna be just learning all the way through until we see Jesus face to face, which is the whole point. It's the whole goal of everything. You wonder, why am I doing this? Where is this going, all of this church stuff? It's going there. It's going because there's a moment when we will see Jesus face to face. And Paul says, we will, be, we will know even as we are known. He's the treasure. And through him, everything else is a gift. We're always learning. We give everything to God so that he can give everything back to us as a gift. Life, abundant, eternal, eternal. Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven verse seven, "Seek and you will find." And that's what I encourage us to do today. He's the treasure. Treasure him. Enjoy him. Learn how to have that relationship with him so that you can discover the riches that He's giving to you in every dimension of your life. Amen..